Welcome to another episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We invite you to join us today as we explore the centrality of the Eucharist in the Catholic faith and offer suggestions for how to make the most out of a holy hour of adoration. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Stephen Ingram. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Well, I have some exciting news to announce. Once again, I am joined by Father Stephen Ingram. Father Stephen has said yes to co-hosting St. Joseph's Workshop with me, and so I'm so thankful to have him join me in this ministry as we seek to help families strengthen the domestic church. Yeah, it's uh, a pleasure to be with you um, to continue this work. It's so important for us to talk about our faith, to be comfortable talking about it, because otherwise we can't evangelize others. We can't help others to grow in the faith if we're not talking about it. And that's really what we're doing here in this podcast, is talking with one another so that other people can hear and benefit from it and hopefully be able to talk in their own homes, their own families, with their own friends about what the faith means to them, where God is part of their lives. And when we do that, we build up the church in our midst. Wonderful. Well, Father Stephen, I don't know if you normally listen to podcasts. Um, I do to some extent, um, but normally when I listen to them, I put it on a faster speed. You know, time is of the <laughs> essence, so I'm listening to it very quickly. And I have to tell you, I was listening to our podcast that just came out, and of course I put it to a, pa- a faster speed, and I noticed that while I sounded like a chipmunk, <laughs> you sounded normal at the fast speed. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I need to breathe and speak slower um, because apparently I speak pretty quickly. And if most people are like myself and trying to listen to this podcast at a faster rate, then you are having a conversation with a chipmunk. <laughs> Well, today we are going to be talking about something that I think is central and so important to our Catholic faith, Um, and I was inspired actually to talk about this based on your vocation story that you shared, Um, but I think that today I would like to delve into the Eucharist and what we believe as Catholics, and also specifically um, talk about Eucharistic adoration and maybe give tips to families for how they can enter into that experience together. Um, One of the things that I think I noticed um, recently with a a Pew Research study is sadly only one third of U.S. Catholics agree with their church that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. I mean, think about that for a minute, just only one third. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like a knife to the heart. (laughs) Oh, our formation efforts, you know, what's going on? How come people aren't believing? Is it because we haven't told it in a way that sunk into their hearts and their minds? Or is it they just haven't had that encounter to really believe that? What do you think, Father Stephen? You know, I I think part of it comes in as to when we learn about it in the first place, because most of us who grew up Catholic learned about what the Eucharist is when we were in first or second grade. True. And just think about how much more you've learned since you were in second grade (laughs) and how much more your understanding of the world has developed. And if we haven't re-engaged with that part of our learning, we're left with a second grader's understanding of the Eucharist. And how much have we forgotten about what we actually learned in grade school? 
You know, I don't remember exactly what my second grader taught me about, you know, the rivers in Texas or whatever I was (laughs) studying. I don't even remember if that was a topic we were studying in second grade. And so the same thing happens when we're not regularly learning about our faith. It becomes easy for us to forget things and to be unsure. And so when somebody comes up to us randomly asking a question, do you believe this? Maybe I don't have a good answer. Maybe I'm not sure. And so it, it kind of makes sense, which means we need to re-engage with it more regularly. Right. And I think a lot of times we forget that the Mass itself is a moment where we re-engage with it. Because if we're actually paying attention to what the priest prays during the Mass, which I do every time because I'm the one saying it, <laughs> But most of us kind of think, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this all my life. I don't really need to pay attention except maybe be shocked when the priest uses a Eucharistic prayer I'm not used to. Um, You know, when we pay attention to the words that are there, they teach us again and over and over and over again what we're actually doing in this sacrament, which is why I think you're shocked. And I'm (laughs) shocked when I hear that, only a third actually agree with what we pray in the Mass. Because that's ultimately what this is saying, is you know they don't understand what we mean when we say this, when we pray this. We don't have that fuller understanding of what we mean by it. And so I think you know reclaiming that is a powerful way to re-engage our faith now that we're adults, now that we've learned this. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point that you mentioned that you know, for most people, if if lifelong faith formation isn't a part of the routine to come back to the church after you receive the sacraments to continue learning, then what you are left with is this elementary um, level of understanding of what the Catholic Church teaches. You know, that same study went on to say that nearly seven in ten Catholics say that they personally believe um, that during the Mass, the bread and wine used in communion are symbols of the body and blood, so not truly transformed and the presence of Christ himself, but just a symbol of it. So it definitely shows us the importance, not only of, of catechizing young ones, but as you said, at every age and stage um, and engaging parents and engaging families to continue to learn. So, you know, I thought maybe let's do a mini crash course on the Eucharist. Let's talk about that a little bit, like in a nutshell, what does the Catholic church teach on the Eucharist? You know, um, it's interesting that, you know, the, those seven and 10, actually do get something right. The Eucharist is a symbol. All sacraments are symbols. They're symbolic of the real underlying truth because we we can't perceive a lot of the truth that's there because it's a spiritual reality. And most of us aren't attuned to those spiritual realities very well because we don't see them with our eyes. We don't smell them. We don't taste them. It's not something that is bodily there, but it's spiritually there. And a lot of times we can say, yeah, that's a symbol. And it is. It really is. The bread and the wine are symbols of Christ's presence as we pray over them, pray the prayers that Christ prayed over them. But they're more than symbols because Christ has chosen to impart his grace and his presence in a unique way. And that's ultimately what makes it a sacrament. It's something that's not just symbolic, but is efficacious. It actually does what it says it does. And so when the priest prays, 
this is my body, he's praying that with Christ, as Christ did himself at the Last Supper when he was with his disciples, as we're recounting it every time we celebrate the Mass, which is why we recount it every time, because we need those reminders for us to connect with what's really happening here. And so Christ saying with the priest, this is my body, makes it his body. And Christ saying, this is the chalice of my blood, makes it the chalice of his blood, because he is the one who spoke everything into being. And so that's the core of that teaching. And, you know, we also repeat in those same words from the words of Christ, do this in memory of me. And that's where we get this teaching on the Eucharist from. It's not something that the disciples made up as something that they needed to do. It was something that Christ actually asked us to do in memory of him and to continue his presence within the church. Because this is the action in which we most obviously become the body of Christ because he gives his body and blood to us and we take it into ourselves. And that's really what our life comes from as Christians, as Catholics, Christ alive in us because we have received him into ourselves over and over and over again. And hopefully that, that symbol is efficacious in us and we truly do become spiritually Christ in those moments and carry his life out into our daily lives with us. And that's why the Eucharist is, you know, Vatican II recounted is the source and summit of the Christian life because it's the point at which we continue to draw our life from Christ. I love that idea um, that, or that you focused on there is that we are taking Christ into us so that we can be transformed into him and take him out to the world. Um, actually, in youth ministry, several years ago, we used to participate in a summer mission trip called Shine, Shine Catholic Work Camp. Work Camp. And every morning, we would always start the day with Mass, and we would reiterate to the young people, it's because we need to take Christ into us so that we can take him out into the world, into the people that we are serving. So I think that's so beautiful, and it's something that really someone could just spend a lifetime reflecting on that scripture and just what does that mean and what is God asking of me? Um, but when you're teaching children, first and second graders, I'm sure the question comes up, ew, <laughs> we're eating his flesh. Does that mean we're cannibals? Will the host taste like that? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You know, how, so how do you explain that to someone who has that mindset of a, <laughs> a young believer? Right. And, and that's where I think that focus on symbol becomes so ingrained in us because we recognize, you know, and when we're in second grade, it's hard for us to understand that it still looks like bread and wine, but has become something different, has become a different substance, because we don't have, you know, quite as much understanding of what that abstract spiritual reality is at that age. And it becomes easier for us to just see it as something, oh, we say but maybe isn't real um, because, you know, when, when we're kids, we're used to playing pretend and saying, oh, I'm a princess or, you know, whatever we want to be in the moment because that's how we play and learn. And 
it becomes, if we don't continue to learn about this as we grow, our understanding of it sticks with that. But the more we engage with it, the more we actually focus on understanding what the, the Lord teaches us about this, the more we're going to be able to say about it. Um, and so, you know, I, I really see this as, you know, something that the more we engage with, the more we ponder on it, the more we'll be able to talk about it in a way that actually can convince others. You know, I've, I've often had this thought in my mind. Um, when you go to Mass, oftentimes it's very solemn and austere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we truly believed that that was Christ's presence in that moment, you know, wouldn't our reaction be different? You know, would we fall to our knees? Would we be jumping and shouting with joy as if, you know, like at a concert when people are just so excited to see this person? You know, is it because, you know, our minds... It's because we don't see him as he truly is, or is it just because we're ingrained in the habit and the routine that we're not really letting ourselves see like, wow, we are in the midst of Jesus Christ. He's here present with us. I mean, what would that look like if the church, <laughs> everyone had this awakening? Well, you know, I, my spiritual director in seminary was fond of saying, and I, I forget who he was quoting, uh, but it was one of his uh, favorite spiritual writers. If, we understood everything that was happening in the mass. We would all need to wear crash helmets, <laughs> right? You know, because there's so much happening because this is the moment in which we connect with the entire work of Christ in salvation. We connect with all of salvation history. We connect with all the saints through the ages and connect with our savior who gives himself to us as food. I mean, the, this is our spiritual nourishment. This is our physical nourishment. This is the way in which we are provided for, for eternal life. And we don't engage with that regularly because I think we do get caught up with the routine of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and priests can have the same problem too. I mean, you know, we've, we've had, you know, these many Eucharistic miracles through the ages. Um, we've hosted here at St. Joseph the uh, display of the ones that Blessed Carlo Acutis gathered together and documented. Um, and a lot of those were proof for the priest that what he was doing was actually making the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. Because sometimes even priests can forget that what they're doing is something miraculous, right? something truly sacramental. I mean, making this holy thing happen each and every time we pray it. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about you know, Vatican II and the reforms that it instituted in the liturgy was recognizing and reclaiming the fact that the Mass is not just the work of the priest. Mm-hmm. But it's the work of the people, which is what liturgy means in Greek. It's the work of the people that are gathered together as we come together in prayer. And the priest leads the people in that prayer. He presides, he celebrates, but we all do it together as the body of Christ. And the more we, as laity, you know, as the church in general, pray it together with the priest, 
the better we're going to engage with it outside of those moments too. Because this is the source of our life because it's Christ. Right. You know, I love that, um, you know, that call from Second Vatican Council that the active participation of the laity, we're all supposed to be, you know, actively engaged in the mass and all of us are transformed, you know, through the reception of the Eucharist, bringing Christ into us to bring him out to the world. You know, we are all called to have that change. You know, with my little children during mass, um, during that time, I like to kind of point out to them when the, the priest is praying and you have the Eucharist lifted, you know, like, look, that's Jesus. You know, yeah. you know, like that moment when it's changing, it's okay. It's no longer bread, but that's Jesus. Jesus is with us and the bells ring, mm-hmm. you know, and I just think it's so important to kind of help highlight that moment. And I was listening to this deacon who was talking and I guess one of his non-Catholic friends was questioning, you know, if, if Catholics really believe this, then, then how come they're not, you know, the, the church isn't packed. Why, mm-hmm. why aren't there people just pouring out? And he was kind of, um, comparing it to a marriage, like an, a, a long, um, marriage, <laughs> you know, where he said, you know, when I'm, when I was courting my wife, when we were, and this is the deacon speaking, so not me, and he was saying, you know, when I was courting her, of course, like my actions were different. I was trying to win over her heart and I was giving her flowers and probably even the way I spoke to her was much different, but we've been married for years and years and years and our, and our marriage has changed. And it's not that I love her any less. Um, but it's grown and it's matured and there's just like a, a different way that we react to one another. And he was relating that to Catholics and the church, especially for those who are daily mass goers. It's not that you, you stop believing you believe, but there's this comfort and that relationship and that love relationship that you have with the Lord. Um, but I think it's so important, you know, we teach that the mass is the source and the summit. But thankfully, you know, we have this gift of the Eucharist and it's not the only time that we can go and be with Christ. And I know that within this podcast, we've talked so many times about how going to adoration can be a tool um, for a person personally, for their spirituality and for families. Um, but I was thinking maybe some people don't really know a lot about adoration. I know personally it wasn't a part of my devotion growing up. I honestly didn't even experience it until college and then beyond. Um so I thought like maybe we can talk a little bit about that and and maybe distinguish because there are different, you know, there are formal holy hours and then there are, you know, adoration where people will sign up and go for an hour um, or sometimes it's not even exposed. It's in the tabernacle, but we can go and be with Jesus. So maybe, Father Stephen, if you can just speak to like the different forms and then we can talk about the how-to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you you said you hadn't really experienced it until college because that was, to some extent, my experience as well, except the one time I did experience it very memorably when I was a child uh, was during the period of adoration after Holy Thursday Mass. During Holy Week, you know, we have the Mass of the Lord's Supper and then process with Christ to the altar of repose and there's a long-standing tradition of the people staying with him through the night until the morning. And we celebrate, you know, go into that celebration of the Lord's Passion on Good Friday that isn't the Mass. The one day of the year that we never celebrate Mass. Right. And my dad always had a very late night, like early, early morning hour. And there was one year... He asked me to come with him, you know, because I was old enough to stay up that late. And it was something like one or two in the morning. 
And I remember going with him and one, I was just excited to be, you know, doing something that late at night because, you know, I was growing into maturity and everything. But then being there with him in prayer and, you know, the blessed sacrament was there in the ciborium. And I was just looking at it and I'm like, why on earth are we here? What's going on here? What's special about this? And the more time I spent there, because we were there for the hour, dad had signed up for the hour and I wasn't going home without him. It gave me a lot of time to reflect on why am I here? What is going on here? And what's inside that bowl that makes it worth being up in the middle of the night to spend an hour here? And I remember that being very transformative for me in terms of understanding what the Eucharist really was about, you know, reflecting on what I'd learned as a child and what does it mean right here, right now, knowing that this is Jesus here. His body is in that bowl. (laughs) Can you explain a little, you know, about your experience? Was it just silence? You know, did your dad lead you in prayer? I mean, because it was so late at night and we also had a few others there in the room with us because they wanted to make sure in case somebody accidentally slept through, (laughs) they had coverage. Um, So because there were others in the room, it was just silent, you know, and, and dad was sitting there, you know, silent. And, you know, every now and again, I'd whisper something to him, ask a question or something, and he'd kind quietly respond, you know, and that, that time of just being there in silence was, I think one of the first times I truly experienced silence in the church, spending time just kind of reflecting in my heart with Christ present to me there. And it wasn't until years later that I realized how foundational that became when I started actually doing a regular time of adoration because it was now not something that I was new to. I had to rediscover a little bit about how to spend that time well, but I knew I'd done it before. And a lot of times we we get hesitant about trying new things because we're not sure what kind of experience to expect. What am I supposed to do if I sign up for a whole hour? Am I just supposed to sit there in silence the whole time? You know, it, it feels very awkward when we're not used to it. And it can be very, you know, frustrating to think about, you know, just being still for that long. And one of the the great blessings I had when I started doing it was I had a a good reminder from somebody who was already engaging with it well, saying, you know, sometimes when you go to visit a friend, you know, you don't spend the whole time in conversation with one another. Sometimes you just sit there with each other and enjoy each other's company, Mm. you know, and sometimes you may not be doing things exactly together, but the fact that you're doing them in the same room is helpful, you know, and especially when you reflect on Christ's activity in the world, in our lives, how much time do we actually spend with him, actively with him, intentionally with him? And, you know, when I was 
getting into it, it was because I needed to devote more time to him. I needed to connect with him intentionally in order for the rest of my life to be filled with his presence. And I didn't realize it until I'd been doing it for a while. But, you know, taking the time to simply be with and not necessarily have a plan as to what I want to do with this time, but to let it be the Lord's time can be very valuable. But when you're new to it, that seems really intimidating. Yeah. Like, is the Lord going to speak to me through the whole hour? You know, I can say that, I guess as a young adult, I I had experiences of being in adoration. Um, But I don't know that I really, I don't, I can say that I did not feel him there. I think I had that same grappling of like, how is he present? Like, I don't see him. I don't feel him. And, you know, struggling with that. And I think, Mm -hmm. honestly, the, the, the time that I can say was an eye awakening moment for me was as a young youth minister on this mission trip, they had this adoration experience and it was so moving. And I think maybe in part because it was communal, there were all these people there. Maybe they knew how to worship in a way that I didn't, you know, and as they processed in with the blessed sacrament in the monstrance and people fell to their knees, it just like, I could physically just feel like this, like something was in the room, something was different. And, and in that experience, it was guided, you know, there was music, there was times of worship of, you know, like repetitive singing and prayer. Mm -hmm. There was times of silence, but it was so moving, um, just to be like, you could just feel the presence of the Holy spirit in the room. And I know at one point in time I closed my eyes and I kind of held out my hands and, you know, I was praying to the Lord. This was a time in my life when I was young and single and just had so many questions about my future as well. And I, had a very profound experience of someone like taking my hands, holding my hands. And I was praying and, and I honestly thought it was my friend until I opened my eyes and I realized that my hands were empty mm-hmm. and I just felt like, Oh Jesus, that was you, that you are here with me. You hear me and my prayers. And it was such a powerful experience. But when I wanted to repeat it on my own, coming back mm-hmm. to the church and going into the silence, it was completely different. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's something that's really important to see, like, but it's not, it's different, but it's not, he's still there and he's still present, but we just have to learn to be with him, you know, and, and sometimes that awkward silence, as you say, that we're not used to. Yeah. And some of those, those group experiences of adoration can be very powerful moments where, because we are the body of Christ gathered with the body of Christ in the blessed sacrament it becomes something more than it would have been on our own. Sometimes it's more when we're alone with Christ too. It all depends on our spiritual state and how we are responding to what's around us. And I think too many people get caught up on, am I experiencing things the way I expect or other people expect? Mm -hmm. When every moment we spend with Christ is some is an opportunity for him to give the gifts that he wants to give that are going to be best for us at this moment. And it's not necessarily about whether we're good enough or not, or doing it right or not. It's more about that openness, that receptivity to Christ in that moment. And I've seen that manifest in a lot of different ways, not only in my own spiritual life, but in others. I I remember this this one big uh, Steubenville conference that we went to, and, um, you know, there's 
a beautiful holy hour that was much longer than an hour, um, as you know, the priest processed through the whole crowd with the monstrance so that people could be closer to Christ in those moments. Uh, there were some powerful experiences that people had. And one of the most astonishing things to me was hearing people not just weeping out of you know, sorrow and joy, but people bursting out in joyful laughter at mm-hmm. the presence of their Lord, of their friend. You know, as he shared different gifts with different people in the same group, it was just so powerful seeing that each person was being reached in a different way, in a way that they needed to be reached. And I think when we go to the Blessed Sacrament for prayer, open to whatever God wants to give us, that's the best place we can be. But a lot of times it's hard to get there because, you know, we are unsure as to what am I going to do there? And one of the most powerful suggestions I ever got um, as I was beginning was, you know, you know that that is the body and blood of Christ that came about as a result of the sacrament of the Eucharist. You know that Jesus is fully present there. So rather than focusing on what you see with your eyes, see spiritually Use your imagination to picture Christ sitting there on that altar. And the first time I did that, it was profound. Because, you know, my imagination, I'm like, how would a human being be sitting on that altar? (laughs) And so I pictured his legs dangling over the edge and, you know, kind of kicking back and forth. And just, you know, my friend Jesus sitting there looking at me with love. What do I want to say to him? Do I want to say anything to him? And a lot of times we we get so caught up with, you know, am I doing this right? That we forget that when we're with friends, it's not about doing things right or wrong. It's about just being friends with them and being ourselves with them. And that's what we really want to do in these times of prayer. Um, you know, opening ourselves to Christ, who is our friend, who is our Savior, who is working everything for our good and to come to him with our concerns, with our troubles and with our joys too, just as we would with any friend. You know, I've never tried to imagine um, Jesus physically present like you, you know, I, you painted this picture and I could just see him <laughs> sitting on the altar, dangling his legs. You know, I do try to see him. You know, I think actually yeah. that's one of my prayers is like, Jesus, help me to see you, help me to see your face. Um, you know, and like, like help my unbelief, like help me to see that you're there in that present. And depending on the lighting of the room, you know, sometimes you see like, ah, oh, this aura and, oh, that's Jesus present. But I think that's a beautiful thing to say. It's not just, you know, we're not asking for physical confirmation with our eyes to see the spiritual reality that's going on. You know, we have to open our heart um, that he could speak to us. And however we see him, you know, physically, okay, it's a monstrance or imagine, imaginatively, you know, here is Jesus with me sitting right there. Um, I think that's a really neat spiritual exercise to do. Yeah, and it can be really helpful for just getting started, you know, because once once we've got that imagination going, we can run with it. And, you know, when we practice it, you know, and after you've done it a few times, you don't need to imagine Jesus there anymore. 
because you know he's there and you can just talk to him. Mm -hmm. And that really brings alive the life of prayer when you realize I don't need to be in front of the Blessed Sacrament in order to speak to God like this, to speak to Jesus like this. I can do it all the time, no matter where I am, because I know he's spiritually with me everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that really dramatically transforms your life with God when you can go from talking to him in these specific contexts to bringing it out to everywhere. God is with me and I'm with him. So because you say that, I guess I'll I'll throw back this question to you. I definitely agree. You can speak and talk to Christ and to talk to God at any, any point in time in any place in the world. So what is the difference? Like why would Mm -hmm. we encourage someone to go to adoration and be close to him than just in your room at night talking to him? Well, it's for the same reason you would go and visit a friend in person rather than calling them on the phone. Because he's physically present there, we connect in a different way than we would, you know, remotely and spiritually in that case. Because we have the physical connection in addition to the spiritual connection when we are with Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, that brings about a deeper communion. Just like, you know, You don't want to only be writing to your friend when he's across the sea. You want to go and meet him, be with him in full person. Yeah. You know, and that makes me think about, I'm sure we can all relate to having Zoom meetings over the last couple of years. And sure, we've been in meetings or even Bible studies or groups where maybe we've tuned out quite a bit or you're kind of listening, but you start (laughs) um, multitasking. You're not fully present. So I think that's a really important thing is that it's you're physically there you're you're all of your attention is there so it's not just you know the the spiritual I'm talking to God but I am physically present with him so I can definitely see how important that is now you mentioned something else as well and I and I want to kind of go back to that you said there's not really any rules like you don't have to come prepared you can just be but I do think that for some people that's the intimidating factor Mm -hmm. is you think you have to be a certain way. I mean, I can honestly say as a, a mother with young children, I've desired to bring them into the chapel, but because here at our parish, it's silent. Um, I'm worried that they're going to interrupt or disrupt other people who are there. And I don't want to get ugly glances. And this is all in my mind, mm-hmm. not to say that our parishioners would give me ugly glances, but I do have that fear. Um, and, and I see mothers with young children coming out of the chapel. So obviously they're able to do it, but let's talk about like, what are the rules? Like what are, if there aren't rules, then what can you expect if you go in there? Um, you know, can you go close? Can you kneel? Can you prostrate yourself? You know, what does it look like? What are the different things that you might see or experience? You know, as, as it is liturgical, we do want to have that respect you know, for what is going on and how we're influencing one another. And the the key is really, you know, allowing that space for others to focus, but also being ourselves, not being held back by the expectations of others from what God is genuinely calling us to do in response to his presence. And so, you know, a lot can depend on what other people are doing, what other people are expecting. You know, when I was, you know, before I entered seminary, I talked about it on our last show. Um, You know, there was, I was going in for a silent holy hour, but in the midst of that holy hour every week, we had a group that would audibly pray a litany. And that's fine. It's wonderful. 
as long as people know about it and engage with it, you know, we regularly have our parishioners here praying the rosary together at the beginning of exposition when the Blessed Sacrament is brought out after Mass. Um, you know, those are frequent things, and they're wonderful things. And so there's not as much a requirement for silence as there is we want to respect the other people who are there so that they can pray well. But sometimes, you know, we need those reminders that there's life outside of ourselves, too. And having kids in adoration can be a great blessing to remind ourselves that we're not the only ones. It's not just me and Jesus. It's all of us together right. with Christ. And me being here is meant to help me be open to all of the body of Christ. Um, and so, you know, generally speaking, we do want to be quiet. We do want to be respectful of the other people. But we shouldn't let that mean that we can't bring our kids in and teach them about what's going on. And yeah, kids will be a little noisy. But as we teach them, they will become those learners, those disciples, those people of quiet reflection. And if we don't give them the opportunity to learn that, they're not going to. And so I encourage families to bring your kids in, but make sure you're preparing them for what's about to happen. And it can be particularly helpful with kids to have a plan mm -hmm. for the time that you're going to be in there so they know what to expect and you can hold them accountable to it, right? You know, I like the fact that you mentioned that it's not just about, you know, someone, it's me and Jesus, this is our time. You know, we are part of the body of Christ and we are part of a community. And one of the quotes that I can't find right now, I thought I had it with me, was actually talking about how when a person spends time in adoration um, before God, it actually is not just about like this selfish time of prayer. It actually will help you to expand your heart to love the fullness of the body of Christ, to go out, to go on mission. Um, so hopefully, you know, as you say, you know, people will be happy that there are little voices in there um, because we're all part of this mission in this church. You know, one of the things, you know, I, I know we've talked about how adoration can be such a powerful tool, but one of the, the I want to kind of point specifically to it um, is this idea of what happens when we are not filled with God's grace and and maybe when we're spiritually hungry, because we, we are talking about spiritual nourishment. And I like to relate it to this concept of being hangry. Like, mm. I think everyone understands what hangry is, right? Like, you're hungry, oh, yeah. and you're angry. Um, and normally, you know, we're talking physically, like you haven't eaten, and your, your body's kind of pushing its limits, and it starts to manifest itself in the way that you act. You know, maybe you become short of patience, um, you start striking out at people, or you're just not loving. I mean, this is just, you know, physically, I'm hungry, and this is what's happening. It's beyond my control, although it is in your control, but you're hangry. Well, you know, I've talked to young people, and I think the same thing can happen to us spiritually. You know, when we are not nourishing ourselves, when we're not going to Mass, when we're not, um, when we don't have a daily prayer life where we're engaging with the Lord, you know, we think we can do things on our own. Um, you know, we're just trying to carry that burden. It starts to manifest itself within us. And we can spiritually become people who are bitter and not loving, um, lacking patience, and maybe even more likely to enter into sin and, and not be able to avoid temptation. You know, and I think that this is very, very true. And so for that reason, I think it's really important that we partake in um, the reception of the Eucharist at the Mass and this idea that we're talking about 
of adoration, um, that will spiritually nourish us. That will feed us to give us the graces that we need to be able to go into the world and be a, a loving representative of Christ to people, not mm-hmm. this angry, bitter <laughs> yeah. person who's lashing out at everyone. Um, so I want to give some specific, I, I guess I want to walk through what people can do to prepare, you know, even though there aren't rules, right? You can do anything you want. Like I still want to give people some ideas of what they could potentially expect to go, especially if this is their first time. So first of all, you know, some churches have um, exposition of the blessed sacrament, which is where the, you said in your experience, it was in the ciborium, right? Well, it, it depends on the time and the specific circumstance because, you know, after Holy Thursday Mass, after the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, it's always just in the ciborium. And that can happen anywhere. That can happen all the time. But a lot of times we get so focused on the exposition in the monstrance because we see the host itself. Right. We see the body of Christ there. But we forget that you know exposition also includes bringing the ciborium out of the tabernacle into the midst of the people too. Um, it's not done quite as often, but it can be. And it's done every year on Holy Thursday. Right. So so if someone goes for Eucharistic adoration, there's a possibility that they could see the, well, not see, imagine, the Eucharist, the host in the ciborium, mm-hmm. or it could be on display in a monstrance. Yeah. Or it's possible that if their parish doesn't have the exposition, it might actually be reposed in the tabernacle. Right. But regardless, we can still draw close to the Lord um, and adore him, mm-hmm. right? So so for someone who is going to do that, you would go and you would genuflect. Right. Ideally, kneel. Let's talk about what's kneeling, standing, sitting. What's yeah. the norm? So the, the postures denote different things. You know, the, the kneeling is that attitude of worship, of being subject to the one we're kneeling to. Um, you know, that's why we kneel during the Eucharist when Christ comes among us. We kneel out of reverence for our Lord who has come into our midst. But then we don't spend the entire rest of the Mass kneeling just because he's with us. We have different stages in the liturgy, and that is reflected in what we do in adoration as well in our personal prayer time because those actions have meanings. And so, you know, what does it mean when we're standing? You know, it's that stand, we stand at the gospel. We stand during processions. It's something that is a little more active, showing respect for what's going on. Um, you know, so that's probably why we don't see quite as much standing during adoration, because most people are either kneeling before their Lord, pleading to him, mm-hmm. you know, asking for that response, you know. But we also see a lot of people sitting during adoration, and that also reflects, you know, on what we're doing sitting in the Mass. We sit in the Mass when we're in the mode of reception, right. when we are listening to the Word of God, when we've received Christ in the Eucharist and sit for a bit to let that sink in, that God is with us. And so a lot of people will sit not only because they can't kneel for an hour straight, but also because that is a genuine time where and posture where we can be receptive and open. Just like, you know, when you go and visit a friend, you don't stand up the whole time to talk. <laughs> you sit down and are relaxed with one another and spend time with one another 
reasonably comfortably. Um, and so those postures denote what we're doing at the time. Um, you know, and so I've found, you know, it's, it's helpful for me when I go in to ask the Lord for something to kneel in doing that because it helps me to build up that attitude of this is my Lord and I'm requesting something of him. But then when I go to, you know, pray with the scriptures, I'll sit down because I'm receiving those scriptures. I'm receiving what God wants to give me in those moments. Great. And so you're hinting at some of the things that people can do um, while they're there in adoration. And so, um, you know, you know, they, we have this, this, um, term I think we've talked about before, which is acts, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. So it could be that as you're spending time with God in the presence of the Holy Blessed Sacrament, that you might do this, a time of adoration, of praising the Lord, of you know asking for forgiveness for your sins, of thanking him and supplication. Um, but other people, especially if you go regularly on a regular basis, they'll have different modes. You know, as you mentioned with maybe you'll sit and read the daily scripture or maybe you'll pray with it. Um, you know, do the Lexio Divina and try to see how is God speaking to me through his word, or maybe you'll have a resuscitation of the rosary or different litanies, you know, prayers. So there's so many different things that people can do and pray there. As you said, there's not one way that you can or need to speak to the Lord, but it's really how he's moving in your heart and how you feel called um, to speak with him and be with him. Yeah. And, you know, when you're getting started and don't have a sense of what am I going to do in this time, it can be helpful to say, all right, here's my plan. I'm going to spend, you know, 10 minutes just, you know, taking in the presence of God and offering to him what's been on my heart today, what's been on my heart this week, you know, depending, you know, since the last time I came in to pray with him, what do I need to bring before him so that it can be off of my chest for the rest of this time so that I can unburden myself to be fully with Christ. And then, you know, the next 15 minutes, I will, you know, ask him for help with, you know, the the people that are in my life that I'm really concerned about, you know, and then once that's kind of, you know, run its course and I've been open to his response and recognized his presence, then I'm going to move into, you know, this time of spending time with the scriptures and spend 15 minutes in this Lexio Divina mode. And then the next 15 minutes, I will, you know, thank the Lord for being present with me and uh, thank him for all these ways in which he's been present with me here and throughout my life. And I'll ask him for what I need going forward as a result of all of this. And when we have those kinds of plans, it can make it far less intimidating to yeah. go in and spend that time when we know, oh, I'm going to be doing this, then this, then this. And in the midst of it, you may feel called to modify it a little bit. And as you get more experience, you'll see what works, what doesn't. And your holy hour will shape itself over time based on how the Lord is speaking to you. And it'll become its own thing that's unique to you. And that's the beauty of the holy hour and why there's no set, defined way to do it. Because each human, each person has their own needs that are met by God. And when we come before him, we'll all receive different things. You know, I think both of us kind of shared the similar concept that as young um, people within the church, it wasn't 
necessarily a part of our devotion, although perhaps it was of our parents. But I would like to encourage all of our listeners, whether you're a parent or grandparent, um, to take time to share this experience of praying before the Blessed Sacrament with the people in your life, whether it's your children or grandchildren, or even if it's in inviting a friend, um, you know, even if it's in small pieces, maybe an hour is something that's overwhelming, but little by little and having that plan, you know, for little children, they could color, you could bring some, you know, some Christian coloring Mm -hmm. books, they sell those and they can just color or you could ask them to draw a picture of Jesus while they're there. Um, I think it's so beautiful just to be able to show them this tool at such a young age, if they can learn that that is Jesus present, then just imagine as they grow, um, they'll know where to go when they have trouble and when they're feeling temptation that the Lord is there and he is present. So it really is something that I think can really feed and nourish our souls. And so I highly encourage um, all of our listeners to be a part of this. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, you probably are that one third who, you know, and you believe that Jesus Christ is there present in, in the Eucharist. But because so many people don't, it's our mission to be able to share that with those that we encounter and those that we love and those that we don't know and we don't love. Um, We are called to go forth and to really share that truth. So I highly encourage everyone to just draw strength from this so that you can go out and go forth on mission. Amen. And it's just about that time. So for our tools for this episode, I have two. I mean, this is really what it's all about. But my first one is... Let's do it. Mark your calendar. Choose a day this week, not next week. Make the time to go visit Jesus and spend time with him. You know, if your parish doesn't have um, him exposed, that's okay. They have him there in the tabernacle. So choose a date, choose a time, and do it. And number two, um, I would just encourage all of you, especially if this is the beginning of your stage of, of being in adoration, to just pray for an increase in faith as you're there in front of the tabernacle or in front of the blessed sacrament, um, just ask the Lord to increase your faith that you may see him and you may believe in his presence. Father Stephen, any other tools? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've, we've mentioned, you know, being able to bring something with you, bring the scriptures in to read because, you know, we know that that's the word of God. And if we're waiting to hear something from God in our prayer time, He's definitely speaking to us there in some way. But we can also benefit from going beyond just the scriptures when we have, you know, the writings of saints who speak to us about how God's active in their lives. That's good to bring into that time with Christ, too, because we know that he speaks to us through the lives of others he's been with. Um, You know, so don't limit yourself to thinking that, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this, you know. When you find yourself drawn to something in Christ, that's okay to do in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so, you know, some of the most profound moments I've had in prayer have been from doing exactly that, taking in, you know, a life of a saint and praying with that. And as I get moved by something in there, offering that to the Lord as he's present to me in the Blessed Sacrament, it's such a powerful thing that makes it more a dialogue rather than just reading. Mm -hmm. I I think that's great. And it really focuses on this thing, this concept that it's not just about us talking to God or talking at God or asking God, 
but listening, you know, mm-hmm. listening to his word, whether it's through scripture or whether it's through the lives of the saints. So thank you for sharing that. And I guess one last question that kind of goes into a tool, but how often should we be going to adoration? As often as you need to. Um, but, you know, if, if you're just getting started, trying to do something weekly so that it's a regular part of your life, it becomes something that's part of your rhythm. Um, you know, a lot of people will focus on the daily. I need to be in there every day, but that can be a burden for a lot of people. And so I think weekly comes to a really good balance of just spending that time connecting with the Lord. And, you know, just like we need to come to the Lord for an hour in mass once a week, balancing that, you know, adding on top of that an extra hour of connecting with God on that deeper personal level that most of us can't quite get to in the midst of the ups and downs of the mats. Spending that quiet time with the Lord for an hour a week can be really powerful. But if you can't do an hour, doing something once a week to get into the habit of it is so powerful. You know, and I know we've talked about this before, but I'm sure that many people listening might say, ah, where am I going to find the time for that? You know, and I'm so busy, but we had talked about in the times where we're busiest and we feel most stressed out, that is probably more than anything, what we need to do and place on our schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I probably did say it in the last one, but I I love what uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen said, Uh, you know, he said, because he did a daily holy hour because it helped him prepare for preaching at mass and all of that. He said, on those days when I don't have time to do my holy hour, it's then that I need two. There you go. I mean, we need double the grace when we get too busy. And so that that's just all the more important that we turn to the Lord and make the space for him so that he can bring all those graces that flow from him into the rest of our lives. Thank you. Thank you for saying that and for sharing that. And we hope listeners that this episode has encouraged you to take another step to strengthen your faith. We thank you for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Remember, we are all a work in progress. So be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home. Almighty God, as we come before you and thank you for your presence among us spiritually and especially coming to us physically in the Eucharist week by week, day by day. We ask you to fill our hearts with your spirit that we may know that you are with us always and bring your graces into our lives today and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.